This is episode number 56, Surviving Cancer and Losing 130 Pounds, Life-Altering Stories of a Vegan Couple. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about plant-based nutrition, mindset, and inspiring stories that will hopefully leave you feeling more inspired to live a high-performance life. I just started reading about everything I could find linking cancer and nutrition. And what astounded me was that there was a hundred years of data linking animal products to human cancer cell growth, promotion of cancer cells. At the time it gave me hope, but now when I think about it, I feel really angry and betrayed that we have not been told this and that we are encouraged to eat animal products our whole lives and then you end up with a cancer diagnosis and that just seems really wrong. The decisions that we make can alter the trajectory of our lives and even our survival. Dan and Sean Moskaluk had a first-hand account of the life-altering changes that occur when you eat a plant-based diet. Sean was 300 pounds and only discovered eliminating all animal products from her diet by accident. Her son wanted to get into bodybuilding and the clerk at the health food store encouraged Sean to do more research into the whey protein she was about to give her teenage son. With an inquisitive mind and a voracious appetite for reading and information, Sean learned about the negative health environment and animal cruelty consequences of eating dairy and realized that it stemmed to all animal products. She decided to give up all animal products and start feeding her family a primarily plant-based diet. I commend her for doing that because whenever you have a weight problem, it's incredibly hard to change your diet and to lose weight. And even if you're trying to lose just a little bit of weight, it's really hard to change your habits. So I want to give huge props to Sean that took an amazing amount of discipline and also a lot of time researching and learning information. After losing 130 pounds, her relationship with Dan also changed and how she viewed herself and what was possible from the world changed as well. Their family ate more plant-based meals and everyone felt and looked healthier. Life was better and cruising along a positive trajectory when the unthinkable happened. One morning in 2013, Dan woke up with abdomen pain and wrote it off as a kidney stone. After a doctor visit, life stood still. He had stage four renal cancer with a 95% chance of death. That's right, a 5% chance of survival. Imagine how that would be to receive that news. He was terminal with very little chance of survival and couldn't even be treated with radiation or chemotherapy. The tumor had been growing for what was estimated to be 15 to 20 years. As a Hail Mary, he tried a very invasive and fatiguing immunotherapy treatment in Vancouver. Instead of treating the problem it was supposed to, it ended up attacking his liver and it nearly killed him. Adopting a whole foods plant-based diet nursed him back to health. Amazingly. It's been five years since his diagnosis, and he is healthier than ever. I can't wait for you to hear the story of these amazing people. They've also been featured in the documentary, Eating You Alive. It was really awesome to meet them. We got to go to their house, which is in Penticton, BC, and they live on this beautiful secluded area in a community, and their house overlooks the lake, and they made us dinner, and they're just the nicest people ever, and the food was great. And I put the recipes in the show notes. It's, it's from the Eating You Alive documentary. 
Before we get into the bulk of the show, I just want to thank our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. And I've been going all over the place in the last six weeks, and I've been using my Sherpa rack a lot. And the thing that I love the most about it is how easy it is to use. For years, I admit to being intimidated of using bike racks because what if my bike fell off or what if I just couldn't figure out how to use it? What if I made a mistake? And these racks are foolproof. They're easy to use. They're lightweight, so you can take them on and off your car and they're secure. So check out kuatracks.com, K-U-A-T racks.com and send them a note. If you want to go on the ultimate mountain bike vacation with me, I'm inviting you to come to Bend, Oregon, October 4th through the 7th. I am hosting a three-day mountain bike retreat. Everything is included from yoga to food to speaking to rides for people of all ability levels, and you can even rent a bike. So everything is taken care of. All you have to do is show up, and the link to that is in the show notes or on my website, sonyalooney.com under retreats. Since the theme of this week's show is plant-based nutrition. I want to make sure that you guys know about the Plant Power Tribe Facebook group. It's a free Facebook group. We have over a thousand members. You don't have to be a vegan or plant-based to join. It's just a place where we can talk about our healthy habits and share recipes and just build community. I find that it's really helpful to have people around you doing the same things that you are. And whenever you surround yourself with positive people with good habits, it helps you stay on track as well. Thank you for listening to the show. It's been so awesome doing this for over a year. And if you want to help support the growth of the show, the first thing you can do is subscribe to it. And if you're brand new, make sure that you leave a review as well. We love five-star reviews and reading them. And also, if you want to support my work financially, I have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. Even as little as four bucks a month helps the growth of the show. And if you haven't noticed, I got a new microphone. So that's been really helpful. And the people who have been financially financially supporting the show have contributed to the purchase of this new product. All right, so let's get into this awesome talk with Dan and Sean. My husband, Matt, joined us for this in-person recording. I hope you enjoyed this riveting exchange and feel inspired to eat more plants after listening to it. So here we go. So we are at Indian Rock with the Indian Rock Vegans at Indian Rock Vegans. And to set the scene, we are actually at home in the Okanagan. And we're at their house, Sean and Dan Moskaluk. And it's so beautiful. They live on this hillside and there's the Okanagan Lake, which is a hundred mile long lake. And it's just incredible. And we just ate the most amazing meal. It was a five-star meal. Yeah, thanks so much for having us, you guys. Thanks, thanks for coming for out. Here. This is it's great. It's awesome. So we have myself today. We have my husband Matt. Hello, hello. And we have Dan. Hello, hello. And Sean. I'm here too. I think this is our first four-person show or our second four-person show. The second one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and these guys are awesome. I saw them on the documentary Eating You Alive, and both of them have an incredible story. And I just can't wait to dig in with you guys. Well, thanks. Yeah, so Sean, let's start with you. Like, you're this like beautiful woman and healthy, like your skin is glowing, but it wasn't always, you weren't always as healthy as you are today. No, actually, when I started this journey, I was almost 300 pounds and I had struggled with my weight for my whole life. I gained weight after every pregnancy. 
I've tried every diet. You know, I did Weight Watchers and Nutrisystem and Jenny Craig, you name it, I tried it. And you know, you can lose weight on a diet, but as soon as you go back to the way you were eating before, it all comes back. So in 2010, my son came home from uh, school. He joined a gym, he wanted to weightlift and bodybuild, and he was told that he would need to have protein powders if he was ever gonna put muscle on. So in one of those crazy little moments in your life, I went to buy this protein powder and the woman who worked at the store said, you need to do some research before you give that to your kids. So she was quite, quite quiet about it yes, though. Yes, she was. She was a very whispered tone. She kind of said, you know, on an aside. So I went home and I Googled protein powders and I came across Dr. John McDougall. And it was a YouTube video called The Perils of Dairy, and it blew my mind. It was completely opposite of everything I'd ever known about dairy, but it intrigued me, and it led me down a wormhole of information. And I just kept reading and reading and reading, and it just came to a point where I decided that I could no longer feed myself and my family in the manner that I had been. So we started leaning into a plant-based diet. Actually, it was a vegan diet at that time. Leaned into a vegan diet. And 2011, fully committed, cleaned out everything out of the house that was uh, processed foods or animal products. And um, over the next two years, I went on to lose 133 pounds. And it was, although I had to reteach myself how to cook and how to grocery shop, it was the easiest thing I'd ever done as far as weight loss goes. It came off so fast, so easy. It was amazing. And so I dragged the family along. They weren't particularly happy initially. They were complaining about everything that I cooked. And I have to say that a lot of the things at first were pretty horrible, but I got better and they started to eat it more and more. I couldn't control what they were doing out of the house. And, you know, they would pick at their food and then they'd say, oh, we're going for a drive, which was actually code for drive through. So <laughs> off they'd go to town and they'd go to McDonald's or whatever, I don't know. But that was fine. At home, I think the family, particularly Dan, was eating about 95% vegan and the kids maybe a little less. And then, uh, so yeah, two years went by, dropped all that weight. I was feeling fabulous. Dan, in the process, had yeah. dropped about 30 pounds or yeah. so. Yeah, and interestingly enough, you know, when uh, when we hit our 40s, the, the terms that men often hear, metabolic syndrome, pre-pre-diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. These were all things that the, the discussions that I was having with my physician, uh, you know, in the year or so prior to, to Sean adopting this. And in those two years uh, of adopting, uh, you know, whole food, plant-based, vegan lifestyle, 95%, I started seeing the improvements. Uh, I saw, you know, weight loss, my blood work improved drastically. Things such as sleep patterns improved. And, and I'm a veteran police officer, a shift worker for 30 some odd years where sleep is a difficult thing at times. And so sleep patterns were improving, allergy symptoms were reducing. So I was definitely seeing the benefits we, of, of we being that we were, we were yeah. bulletproof, right? We yeah. were feeling great. We were healthier than we had been in years. We were energetic. Kids were about to leave home. We were gonna be empty nesters. Things were looking pretty good. Yeah. Awesome. So I, I want to go back and because there's a lot of things that you did that are really difficult that are amazing. So like somebody that's overweight and has eaten a certain way their whole life, it's really hard to change those habits. And number one, like how did you know that the things that you were reading online whenever you started doing your research on dairy were, were true because there's so much information out there? 
Well, you know, I just started reading all the books by the physicians and the researchers. And, you know, when you really think about it, I also think that when you switch to this lifestyle, you have to be a researcher, an anthropologist, (laughs) you know, looking at politics and food policy. There's so many things wrapped into this. And when you start looking at it from a lot of different angles, it just really makes sense. And you suddenly, the, the veil is lifted. And when you really look at how our ancestors really evolved and what we were really eating, and then you start to research things like the difference of us physiologically compared to carnivores, you know, our teeth, our jaw structure, our uh, intestinal tract, our the enzymes in our saliva, all of the, the science behind it, it's undeniable. It's And then you start looking we're plant at... Eaters. We're plant eaters. You start looking at industry and you look at the billion dollar budgets that uh, the animal ag industries are, are throwing at advertising and you know, it just is common sense, really, when it boils down to it, with a lot of research backing it up as well. But I mean, look at these fingers. They're perfectly designed to pick fruit. They're certainly not meant to rip flesh. I mean, I uh, volunteer at an animal sanctuary and we have pigs. There's no way I could bite through their flesh. Their hides are tough as nails. I mean, we're just not meant to do that at all. So. I think it was just by reading so much. And I, I have to say that researching I was... Researching your research. I was, yeah. And researching the research. I think we, we're always telling people that, aren't we? You know, because people will uh, say, oh, I just read an article that coconut oil is really good for you. And you're like, well, flip to the back of that research paper and find out who funded it. Generally speaking, it's industry. It's coconut oil industry or the dairy industry or whatever study is promoting these things. So you really have to research your research. But... I, just extensive amount of reading, being open to the message at that time, and I can't exactly explain why I was open to it. I struggled with my weight all these years. I think it was the combination of the, the health and then finding out how food arrives on your plate, particularly how animals arrive on your plate. I've always considered myself an animal lover, and now I realize I was a pet lover. Now I'm an animal lover, but I was a pet lover till then. So that in combination of what animal agriculture is doing to our environment. So it's just kind of this perfect storm that came along at the right time, I think. So even if if we look back then to now and just the few years that have gone by, the amount of information that's in our fingertip in all modalities If you're audio, you can listen, as we're doing here with podcasts. If you like reading, you can read about it. If you're visual, the amount of information that's on lecture form, on videos, in different formats, are all there. And what's interesting, too, is one of the hints and clues we always see from these experts in the field, most of them are doing it for free. Mm -hmm. You know, when you you sign up for one of the webinars, be it with the Esselstyns or McDougall, and John McDougall's famous for this. When you look at some of his Facebook posts, it says, and it's free. Yeah. You know, they're giving this information away. Dr. Michael Greger's, all the uh, yeah. the profits that he makes from his books and read it, go back to funding his nonprofit organization. So that's when you really, really see the thing. And it's the interesting. True yeah, the true motivation. There's enough yeah. people making money off the people's misery. You know, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's so true. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, a lot of people aren't about trying to make a buck off of somebody else's misery, just trying to share the information. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious because 
not many people have met anyone who's lost 100 or 133 pounds. <laughs> and certainly very few people have experienced that. What was that like just living in your body? And because your change wasn't driven internally, it was it was because of this happenstance from your son. So you weren't right. necessarily yeah. thinking, oh, I just want to make this change. So what was that like going from being, you know, overweight to losing that amount of weight? What did that mean? It was crazy. I mean... Obviously, the more you have to lose, the faster you lose it initially. So I was losing sometimes four pounds a week and I was like flying through clothes. I, I would buy a pair of pants and they'd be tight. And then by the month later, I'd have to cinch them in with a rope almost like the hillbillies or something. And, um, it was really interesting because it happened so fast. I mean, two years in total, but still... I would meet people that I hadn't seen for a while. And I was telling this one story, Dan and I went to a wedding of one when of we his roommates. Yeah. And we showed up at this wedding. I hadn't seen these people for quite a while. And I was wearing sunglasses and stuff. And people were really awkward with me. Like they would not make eye contact. They're looking at Dan. Yeah, they're looking standing. at me. They wouldn't look at me. And it was like, <laughs> you could tell they were like looking at Dan going, oh my God, he brought a girlfriend to a wedding. What the hell? You know, like where's Sean? And uh, so then I'd have to take my sunglasses off and talk. And then they they, oh my God, that's you. It, it really freaked people out, which was amazing. And, and I would bump into women in particular who I know struggle with their own weight and they would actually start to cry. And that was really emotional because I know what it's like to struggle with your weight for years and years. And they would just look at me and it was like such, I hope, I think, hopefulness in the fact that you know, if I can do it, you can do it. Because really, I didn't do anything special except change what was on my fork, really. And it made such a drastic change. But I have to say that I really did it for the health. I did it because of what I was reading, the effects of um, chronic disease on animals and the environment. And then the weight was kind of a really nice side effect of the whole process, yeah. but it was life-changing. Yeah, because again, too, you were mainly, like you say, always, you were a spectator in our family life because I mean, you couldn't participate. The whole time the kids were growing up, Dan would go camping with them, Dan would go skiing with them, Dan would do stuff with them because I was too overweight to participate. I was too overweight and I was too out of shape and I would, you know, I was embarrassed to go swimming. I wouldn't go into the, you know, the lake in a swimming suit, no way, not a chance. So it kind of was able to, you know, I can participate in any sport now, maybe not well, and as long as it doesn't involve heights. So, but, um, <laughs> no skydiving. <laughs> no skydiving, no. But I mean, I can do anything that I want to. And, you know, initially I didn't do any exercise at all. I lost probably about three months into it. I started gradually walking and I would... We live out in Aramata, so it's very hilly. And I would struggle to even go 200 meters up the driveway or the hill by our driveway. I mean, that would be, that would kill me. I couldn't breathe. I would certainly not be able to speak if somebody happened to walk by. Or, but I gradually kept doing it. I kept pushing myself to the next driveway, then to the next driveway. And, and now we do 5K every morning, 2.5 up, 2.5 down. And I just limit to that because an hour's... Plenty. We've got enough other things to do to keep ourselves busy, but 
So it's really so doable. I think that's the big thing is that when you get to be that kind of weight, you just expect that that's it for the rest of your life. You've tried a million things, they don't work. This is just so easy because it's the way we're meant to eat. And how has that expectation of yourself? So you are overweight and then you're able to overcome this, overcome food addiction, like Chef AJ loves talking about food addiction and change your life completely. I'm sure I also want to ask how it changed your relationship, but how has that reframed what your expectations are of what's possible in life? Because I'm sure that that really changed how you viewed yourself and what you're capable of. Yeah, it really, really did. I mean, it kind of took me from being a spectator to a participator. I feel like I, I mean, just like little things, like I couldn't cross my legs when I was sitting down. Now I can, you know, like I couldn't buy, I couldn't go into any store and buy clothes. It had to be a special store. Now I can buy clothes anywhere. You know, I dress completely differently because I pick out things that I like instead of what fits. Wow. And that alone, it just changes because your personality emerges instead of what's expected of you. And, you know, I really used food as a currency because, you know, I was this, I baked a lot. I cooked a lot. I made these really delicious, high fat, high caloric things. And it was comfort food. And that was my calling card. I always say to people, if, if somebody did me a favor, I made them a cheesecake. Food was my currency. And that's changed now because you might get a carrot if you do something nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's it's just changed who I am as a person. I think I think I have way more confidence. I've evolved into um, you know, I just want to help people do this evolution for themselves. Cause I know it's so easy and it's so possible. And you're right, when you talk about food addiction, I know I'm a food addict for sure. And I love what Chef AJ says about if it's in your house, it's in your mouth. So it's like, there's nothing in this house that's, you can open the fridge and there's, you will not be tempted to overeat <laughs> anything because, uh, or if you want to eat a whole bag of carrots, go for it. I don't know. That's some of the food we had today. I can easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that All was. All the ingredients. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And, you know, and it's funny because our, when our, our kids used to come home, they would open the fridge and go, there's nothing to eat. And now our son was just home for the May long weekend. And he goes, oh my God, my fridge looks just like yours now. And <laughs> that just makes I mean, the fact, if you can get your kids and your family to do this, there's no greater gift that you can give your kids than a life of health. And I think that us changing this for us has also set them up to avoid, hopefully, all of the things that we've gone through in the last few years. So, Just quickly about the food. It's not about deprivation. In fact, it's about taste sensation. You know, there's 80,000 different vegetables and fruit. You re-teach yourself how to cook and prep things. Definitely, there's a bit of a learning curve. So when we say, yeah, it's easy to do, yes, there's a bit of retooling, reteaching. But, gosh, the variety of foods are just incredible. And when you look at some of the ethnic foods that uh, have a diversity that's just incredible, it's just it's endless. A you bit could of different make something spices. different for dinner every night if you yeah. so were so inclined. Or you can just roast a sweet potato, one or the other. It's easy. It really is. And so what was that like for, I mean, you mentioned a bit of it with the food prep. What was that like 
with your relationship or on your relationship as it started to happen for the family? Well, I think actually it was interesting because, um, you know, typical guy, okay, yeah, on the barbecue or, or manning, whatever, a bit. Well, I'm gonna. I'm just. I'll, I'll let you jump in, Sean. I know you're pointing at you, saying, "Yeah, you are the food prepper." But as when you talk about the relationship, I think it it's it, it's an interesting thing to do together because as we get older, the male likes to do one thing, the woman likes to do another. But relearning something together, I think, is really interesting. And cooking and working together in the kitchen is really neat. But what was it like for you when I lost weight? Yeah, that, that's what I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Okay, sorry. <laughs> we'll edit that out. Uh, no, we're going to leave it. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> well, it was incredibly because, first of all, when we first met and when we were in our late teens, early 20s, Sean was, you know, not slim, slim, but certainly not 300 pounds. So, with, through the pregnancies and as we got older, she gained all this weight. I was terrified for her health. And then again, uh, um, for, for relationship-wise and for intimacy as well, too, it certainly detracted from that. Again, I think for a, a woman, uh, you know, body image and so on is, is uh, you know, it, it's something in one's mind. So for myself, I think, though, you know, seeing her and, and worrying about her and seeing the different attempts and then the failures was heartbreaking. And then when she adopted this, you know, and started reading, because she's a voracious reader, she's been a fictional reader for years, she could tear through books like, you know, like No Tomorrow. So I knew she was onto something and that, that she was determined with it. And then the weight loss started. And then as it went on and, you know, the weight kept coming off, and it was just unbelievable to see that transformation in that two years of um, essentially, well, she fit in her wedding dress after that two years, that one June uh, on her wedding anniversary, which she thought she would never get back into. And we've got photographs of that. In fact, it's in one of the shots in Eating You Alive, I think, or, but on one of our presentations, definitely. So I was happy. I was happy for me because she's always been a beautiful woman, but she was smoking hot again. You know, she looked, she looked like the day I married her. It's funny because she says about confidence, she's always been a very confident woman, but you know, in this respect, this one thing here about weight gain was something that had beaten her and that she had resolved that this is the way she was gonna be. But for some reason at that age and, and when that happened, it changed. And um, it's just been unbelievable what it's meant for us uh, as a couple, as for herself, and, and uh, but for the two of us. And then moving forward, as we get older together, we know our health, is different now, vastly different than it was it was going to be possibly. Oh God, yeah. I think, you know, I was just Your around the corner family. for, you know, at that weight at 300 pounds, you know that heart disease and diabetes and joint problems and all of that kind of thing are coming down the pike for sure. I think the one thing I'd have to say to people is you, you don't even have to set yourself an end goal. Cause I think if somebody had said, Oh, you need to, you know, if, if my doctor had said, oh, you need to lose 133 pounds, that would have been overwhelming to even think about or to entertain doing. And I never really had, a, I didn't do it for weight loss. I did it for health. So that first month I was like, oh my God, 15 pounds. Well, maybe I could lose 20. Oh my God, I lost 20. Maybe I could lose it. Oh my God, I lost 30, 50, 60, 80, 100. You know, it <sighs> just kept coming. And I never had 
like I never said, oh, I want to lose this much weight. I just kind of got to a point where my body stopped losing weight. And I think that when you're eating the diet that is in, intended for optimal human health, your body gets to a certain weight that is good for it and healthy and, and it's easy to maintain and you're done. That's it. You're done. So could I lose more weight if I wanted to? Yeah, I could probably put myself on a starvation diet, but why would I want to? I mean, I'm happy at this weight and, uh, you know, I've always been tall with a, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not one of those tiny, slight people, never have been. And I'm so happy now with my weight and my health and my physical abilities. And I can eat a ton of really great food. I don't have to deprive myself. I'm never hungry. It's the best thing. Yeah, I think it's a really good point to talk about this. And it's something that I think about as well, because as a cyclist and it, like we're always like trying to optimize and get as, as light as, and healthy as possible. Um, being light is this pressure that we all, it's like, oh, I got to lose weight. I got like people, the joke is like, oh, I got to lick a doorknob so I can get sick so I can lose weight. Like people are like crazy. Cyclists are like. I avoid the doorknobs. Like, yeah, the people are like insane. Like people get jealous of one another if someone got the flu because they could lose weight. Like it's crazy. So something that I think about and is, is exactly what you just said is instead of focusing on a number on the scale, because we all get so focused on the number. Oh, like I need to be this number. Right. And if I'm this number, then I'm good or I'm hot or whatever. Yeah. But instead of focusing on the number, focus on your daily habits, and your daily actions yeah. towards optimal health. And I think it's hard. Like sometimes we lose focus of those things because we're so focused on other things. And yeah. it's just committing to those daily actions. Yeah. And we're bombarded constantly mm. with how women in particular are supposed to look. And, you know, I am a solid 12 size 12. And I am freaking thrilled with that. You know, I know that there are women out there that are fours and sixes and stuff. That's just not my reality. And it never will be. And I'm fine with that. That's, you know, I'm, you know, five foot eight. I just, it just doesn't matter. I think it's really how you, again, like we said, health, how you feel about yourself. And you just come to the proper weight that you're meant to be. And that I think means, that's, yeah. That is the real thing about this lifestyle is that you can eat all the food you want, never be hungry, and be the proper weight that your body was designed to be. That being said, when we look at this day and age with obesity and with women, the normalization of, of obesity yeah, is something that you that touch on a, a lot. Dangerous, and I, you know, I'm allowed to say this because I was obese. I know that there's a lot of... Uh, Oh my gosh, this is kind of uh, shark infested waters, but there's such a normalization now to obesity. We have these supersized models and, and I don't think that anybody should be made to feel bad about themselves ever. Everyone should be respected. But when you start to normalize obesity through socialization of advertising with people who are overweight and all of that kind of stuff, you're sending a very dangerous message because it could be the very reason that you die. You are more susceptible to cancers, diabetes, heart disease, so many chronic diseases that are very linked to being overweight. So there's nothing natural about being overweight and there's nothing glamorous. And it's something that in our society, 
we have supersized food and now we have supersized people and we are going down a very dangerous path. We have pandemics of diabetes. We cancer one in two uh, men, one in three women. So again, too, like you said, you're in more of a position to speak about yeah. it. And now, now it's taboo. It's forbidden to speak about obesity, yeah. fear of... Of fat shaming. And, you know, again, I can say it's kind of like those jokes about your mother. <laughs> I can tell them, but you better not to. Well, I was obese and I'm sorry, but all these people who say it's, oh, I'm happy being this weight and, oh, it's good. No, you're not. I'm sorry. Yeah, big is beautiful. Yeah, big and beautiful. All of that kind of stuff. It's... If there were a magic pill that you could take to lose that weight overnight, I pretty much guarantee you every person would take it. But here is the magic pill. It's called plants. <laughs> I think it's interesting culturally. I mean, if you say, I think first of all, your, your body when you're gaining weight like that is your body's doing its best to tell you something's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like you're physically changing. It's trying to show you that there's something unhealthy going on. It's trying to tell you to stop, it's but we, we're not listening. But I think that's a health outcome. And if you want to say big is beautiful, that's fine. And big can be beautiful to you. Mm -hmm. That's your choice. But big is unhealthy. That's right. So it, I think there are almost two different points. It's not to say that this isn't beautiful if that's what you value, but it is to say that your body's right. telling you you're unhealthy. Yeah. And I think that's the dangerous point. It's like if when we have supersized models that are showing little girls that it's okay to be overweight, well... Obviously, you need to be respected no matter who you are and what size you are. You should be treated with dignity. But you need to know that you are setting yourself up for so many chronic diseases and, you know, just basic discomforts. And I see all these young women and I think about what their uh, chances of complications during pregnancy. And it's a cascade of health problems that comes with that package. And... Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to live that way. You can just change what you eat and you change your life. You change your body. Yeah, I think the real challenge, though, is like knowing what size model should be, because on the other end of the spectrum, they're like way too skinny, way too photoshopped. And right. everybody grows up with a complex of like, oh, I'm going to have an eating disorder because I want to look like that yeah, model. But so you know what? This is a horrible thing to say, but when you go to Walmart, you're not seeing the, those supermodels. There's not a, a ton of them hanging around going, mm -hmm. ooh, look at all those really slight, skinny girls. That's not the problem, per se, in our society. Mm -hmm. There's obviously, you see one or two that you think, oh my goodness, you need to have a little more to eat, maybe. But that's not what's happening in our society. We're having a pandemic. Mm -hmm. of the opposite problem. And it's both genders too. And now. it's both genders. Yeah. And it's um and it's because of what we're eating. We're eating a lot of processed food. We know that fast food is uh is made by food chemists that are tweaking those with all of the proper chemicals and adding fat, sugar and salt to them to make the dopamine response irresistible. They're really, you know, Lay's potato chips came out with that. I bet you can't just eat one. That was a scientific <laughs> fact. That was not a challenge. Like going to the casino and hoping you're going to win. Like That's you're right. designed yeah. to lose. You know, yeah. these foods are designed by chemists to make us overeat. So... Yeah. It's not a really fair And that's, game. you know, uh, segueing into, you know, wading in, tiptoeing into this transition or cold turkey. Mm -hmm. If you don't eliminate that addiction sensation, it's pretty hard to kick it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you eliminate something completely, you're going to have that withdrawal 
But then, you know, when we talk about our palate and taste sensation, your palate changes is not too long. What might have tasted a little bland and unsalted uh, the, that for that month, give it a month and you'll see that those flavors and be it the grape, the red pepper, mm-hmm. you know. Remember grapes? Suddenly we were like, did grapes always, always taste this good? <laughs> cauliflower that I used it's to think sweet. was the blandest, most yucky vegetable. It's sweet. It tastes sweet to us yeah. now. Yeah. So, and that's a good point. And you often say this as a police officer, you never have met an addict who's gone clean, who did it gradually. No, no. A lot of times, you know, I see these guys that, uh, you know, the, a few years later, they look fabulous and it's like, yeah, I quit. I did it. I just, I quit. Cold turkey. Yeah. Yeah. And we all, we have this little story we always tell and, and it's because we live right by the lake and we go down there in the summertime and Dan jumps in. He just jumps right into the water and he's frolicking and doing the back and having a lovely time. Meanwhile, I'm back at the shore inching in. I'm That's how to, I do it too. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's so I'm painful. Up, yeah, I'm up to my knees. And I'm like, oh God, this is so painful. Meanwhile, I'm watching him and he's reaping the benefits of making that immediate switch from you know being on land into the lake. And he's having the fun, and I'm still suffering. But it wasn't so, always that way. But I always think, though, now, <laughs> now. That, that is such a great analogy for a plant-based diet. Because the faster you do it, the faster you're reaping the rewards and the benefits and enjoying that new life. And big changes yeah. give big results. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, and speaking of big changes, so... You guys have been eating a vegan diet and we'll define like what the difference is between vegan and whole foods plant-based soon, but you guys were chugging along, weight loss is gone, relationship's great. What happened next? Well, then um, this puts us to the fall of 2013 in the month of November. There's this one week I was uh, putting up with abdominal pain in my left side, worked all week, putting it off. Came to the end of the week, uh, the Saturday, cutting firewood all day and uh, I couldn't put the pain off any longer it was excruciating told Sean that the pain was unbearable and uh, that uh, we had to go to the hospital and it's interesting I've only had you know the typical rotator cuff joint injuries throughout my life this abdominal pain was something different it scared me it wasn't going away in fact it had gotten worse and uh, so off we went to the hospital Penticton Regional Hospital that evening they did the scan came back with the scan results. They ushered us into a waiting room. And within two sentences, the physician looked at me and he said, Dan, it's, uh, I was thinking kidney stones or kidney infection and, uh, or something like that. And he said, it's, it's not a stone. It's not an infection. It's your right kidney, actually. And your right kidney, it's one massive tumor. It's cancer. And not only that, the cancer is metastasized. It's out of your kidney. It's into the vena cava, the, the main vein. So not knowing much about cancer, it was the most terrifying thing I, you know, that one can hear. And um, getting a cancer diagnosis is one thing, yet then being told that it's stage four cancer, you know, the most severe stages of cancer, stage four, there is no stage five. It, uh, it, was, it was unbelievable to hear. So that week, we spent the week telling family and friends. I went to work and told them about my situation, that I was leaving on extended medical leave that I would be hoping against hope to come back to work, uh, hopefully. So that uh, from November, uh, our uh, medical team uh, worked very hard. The first step was to remove the kidney, and that was an extreme nephrectomy, complete removal of the right kidney. We went off to uh, Vancouver General Hospital that Christmas Eve, actually. It was our, my surgery date. 
And that's how we spent that Christmas. And frankly, we were the four of us together, our two children. And uh, I was wondering if that was going to be my last Christmas. Severe surgery, urologist, uh, two urologist, cardiologists on hand. They were clamping off all the organs, but they managed to pull the, the, the tumor out. I, just to backtrack, the week after the diagnosis, we went and saw a specialist. And the specialist gave us the more details about what had happened was Stage four, meaning it was metastasized, it was into the right kidney, one massive tumor, and then had grown into the vena cava, which is your tronchial vein that connects all your major organs. So the tumor was into the vena cava and growing up towards my, my lung and heart, lungs and heart, and several lymph nodes were affected. And we were told it was terminal, and we were told that I had months to two years to live. So that's how the first steps we went into that surgery. I was extremely healthy, and that was the one thing that uh, permitted me to actually have the surgery so quickly is that I was that healthy because, and I certainly went into the diagnosis not looking like an individual who was suffering from stage four cancer. We explained to us as well that that tumor that size would have taken about 15 to 20 years to grow. So it wasn't an overnight thing. Certainly adopting a whole food plant-based vegan lifestyle for the preceding two years certainly got me into a good state of health to face on this diagnosis. So surgery went well. They removed the kidney, pulled the, the tumor out of the vena cava, uh, stapled me shut with about 50 staples. And um, the next step was to see how and uh, if I recovered from the surgery. And then uh, they were trying their hardest. To, my best bet was to try to get onto a trial study drug uh, or a trial study uh, because there's no effective treatment of uh, renal cell carcinoma, especially stage four. So like they couldn't do chemotherapy? No, they couldn't do... no, chemotherapy and radiation is not effective for kidney cancer. So the best bet was to see, to get me onto a trial study. They had some new drugs they're looking at. You we hear it a lot these days about immunotherapy. And those are drugs that help your immune system get past the blocks or the walls that the cancer puts up. So a lot of severe side effects, though. And it is funny because they said, we're not sure if we can get you onto the study. So, you know, they're hanging this carrot out, yet I don't even know if I'm even going to get onto the study. So, but things moved along and throughout from December uh, to March, again, I healed tremendously well. Uh, that's another thing, too. Anybody with cancer knows that if you're healthy enough, they can use the strategy of waiting and watching. It's called wait and watch. If you're healthy enough, if you're in dire condition, there's no way they can do that and they have to move a lot faster. But because I was so healthy and I was recuperating from the surgery so well, it was by March, they confirmed that I was able to get onto this trial study and I was an excellent candidate given my, my general health. Because they couldn't start any other treatment. No. Because they didn't, you know, any other drug... Yeah, they didn't wouldn't muddy the water. You wouldn't be accepted as as a... And you guys had a a strategy as you got diagnosed as to how you were going to... Yeah, back to the night. You know, everybody asks me, well, what happened? So the night of that diagnosis, it's it's November 9th, 2013, was the moment that I went whole food plant-based 100%. And a lot of people said, well, why? And the simple answer is I didn't want to die. And I wanted to do everything I could to stack the odds in my favor. I think everything that you had been hearing me say about what I'd been reading kind of hit you in the head that night, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, as anyone who's been through this can know is that, I mean, it's just you get the rug pulled right up from under you and you're just totally, you just lose your sense of balance completely. But after about, you know, two weeks... 
I just started reading about everything I could find linking cancer and nutrition. And what astounded me was that there was a hundred years of data linking animal products to human cancer cell growth, promotion of cancer cells. And at the time it gave me hope, but now when I think about it, I feel really angry and betrayed that we have not been told this and that we are encouraged to eat animal products our whole lives and then you end up with a cancer diagnosis. And that just seems really wrong. But what I did do is I, I kept reading and I put Dan on what we call now a program of nutritional excellence. And we just started eating raw vegetables and as much greens as I could jam in him. He was having massive amounts of greens and just trying to get him as healthy as possible before the surgery and just to combat everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, I'm so grateful that I had this in place and that I had been doing it for a couple of years because I do think that to be in a situation where you're so fragile, where you've had this horrific news and you think, you know, you've been told you're going to die in a couple of months, two years maximum, and then have to reteach yourself how to cook and grocery shop and all of those things would be extremely difficult. Certainly worth doing, but extremely difficult. So I, I feel like the universe, the weight loss was just setting me up for the real big fight. It was that kind of got me ready for what was coming hmm. with you. So we entered into the whole thing healthy and then really kind of refined our diet from a vegan diet with a lot of processed foods transitional, and, transitional foods foods and all that kind of stuff into really a whole food plant-based diet, which was more vegetables in as grown form, lots of whole grains. We went from flour to unbroken grains, you know, really got strict. Like no, no, no fake, fake meats, meat. no yeah. fake cheeses, all of that kind of stuff. We really went full bore. And what, what the doctors say, like when you told them like, hey, like I'm eating this way. Yeah, my personal physician, again, oh, the whole medical team, be it the oncologist and my own physician, uh, they really, we told them that we were whole food plant-based. We asked that it be noted on, on uh, you know, on the files. And uh, once I got onto the trial study, as I said, that we, you know, we asked them that that be mentioned. And they, you know, the only interest or the only curiosity about nutrition or eating was the only question they ever asked was, how's your appetite? And then what are you eating? never what you're eating. And then, uh, you know, explaining what we're doing, the sense it was, well, you know, it appears to be working for you. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. You know, essentially was that it was discounted, dismissed, and dismissed. Very it was dismissed. dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I recovered from the surgery again too. the first weeks home from surgery was brutal. I thought I was going to die. I wasn't sleeping. I was I couldn't hardly eat. Of course, you figure you got an incision from one side of the abdomen to the other. And um Again, what got me through that, again, was something that high in calorie, high in nutrients is roasted nuts, just dry roasted nuts, slightly salted by the bedside. And, you know, pecking away at those day and night uh, got me through uh, the first initial weeks. And it was brutal. I, I thought I was going to die. And I kept getting healthier and healthier. So that's where we started getting a little encouraged. And there was no spread to the cancer, even though they told us, they said initially, they said, we're naive to think that this will not spread or grow. So we were told that, you know, stage four is terminal and this cancer will spread and grow. So we went into it with that. But 
looking the way I did and feeling the way I did, it was quite an odd thing. And especially with the recovery and as I got healthier and, and recuperated and uh, went into the trial study that uh, March. The immunotherapy trial? Yeah. yeah. So what that was supposed to be, that was supposed to be two protocols. The first was going to be four treatments of the combination of the two drugs. And that was every three weeks we were to travel to Vancouver to the uh, Vancouver Cancer Clinic trial study clinic and uh, every three weeks packing up and heading down there and sitting in the chair in the chemo ward for about five hours. But again, you know, we kind of, and then after the four treatments, it was supposed to be every two weeks for the rest of my life or uh, however long my body could. Every two weeks for the rest of your life. Yeah. Sitting in the chemo chair for five hours. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And driving because we're five five hours away. Yeah. Five hours away. Driving the day before. A day at the chemotherapy, you know, hooked up in the chair, and then usually a day or two or maybe even three in the hotel afterwards because he wouldn't be up to traveling that Fatigue, pain, malaise in in general, and yeah, that was what was happening. Again, we'd walk into the cancer clinic in Vancouver looking essentially the way we do today, and people would do double takes as to which of these two very healthy people could possibly be suffering from cancer, let alone stage four cancer. And it was interesting, but uh, we made the best of it. And, and uh, we had, uh, we laughed a lot and we cried a lot. And um, yeah. I no idea the human body could produce cry. as many tears as it can. Yeah. That's... So I got through to the third treatment, about a day or so after I woke up in the middle of the night with a fever. And for anybody with uh, cancer knows that fever is a big red flag. So it was off to the hospital that night and they drew blood. And then it turned out that, uh, as they had explained prior to, is that one of the side effects could be because the immune system bumps up your immune system so much, it could attack an organ or it can attack itself. So that was one of the big things that we were monitoring for. They described it as, you know, you've uh, opening the tiger, the the, the tiger's cage. cage. Yeah, letting the tiger out of the cage and not knowing where or what it's going to attack. So that night, sure enough, uh, off to the hospital, we went with the fever and uh, they drew blood. And it turned out that, in fact, I did suffer a a side effect. uh, The drugs had attacked my liver and my liver was producing uh, extremely high levels of enzyme and was in distress and under attack and was trying to uh, protect itself. But overloading the system, I think it was uh, 25 times the normal enzyme levels is what was happening. And that was a near fatal attack. I just about died from that. They uh, they suspended me and dismissed me uh, after that episode from the trial study. And they usually stop the treatment after five times. Yeah. The yeah, one of the bars that they hit, if you're, let's say, for liver functions, if your liver were to hit five times the normal level, they would dismiss you automatically. Well, that night I hit 25. So it was a dire situation. It just about killed me. And so the recuperation plan from the side effect was then uh, dismissed from the trial study and on to prednisone, which is a steroid drug, so that it would help my liver recover and protect it uh, to to assist it in in producing uh, the substances that it needed to. And it's interesting. Sean described me as a grumpy, agitated, easily agitated talkative a man who acted like a zooped up tween uh, with ADHD and uh, if the cancer didn't so kill me was she was it. about to kill me. Yeah. It was yeah. one or the other. So six months on the prednisone and um, it was, it was quite an ordeal but again I recovered from that quite well and again my medical team were quite amazed because there was no permanent damage to my liver and um, all the while too going through these scans is that we started to see the gradual reduction in 
size of their three remaining affected lymph nodes. And uh, I had lymph nodes that were enlarged by my windpipe and my mid-back and mid-abdomen. And again, the most gravest one was by the windpipe. Of course, that's what cancer does. It essentially takes over the function of an organ that calves out or it impedes the function of something else. Here, impeding your windpipe, of course, that uh, it's not a good thing. Yeah, they were telling us there was going to be breathing problems. Yeah. No, that's just to, to clarify, that's not supposed to happen. That cancer is not supposed to reduce in size. You're not supposed no, to. No, it was terminal. Right. So you go in there and what does your medical team say at this point? Because clearly you're going the opposite direction. Yeah, they sent you away to die. Yeah, they essentially sent me away to die. And here I was coming in looking like I did. And um, they kind of shrugged their shoulders. They referred, like I said, yeah, they referred to me as Superman. They said that my recovery to date was quite amazing and quite a rare thing. And that uh, essentially always the bottom line was, well, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, that yeah, was about it. Good advice. Yeah. 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 So that, you know, in a nutshell, so I was suspended from the medical treatment May 214, given so two years like to live. Six months after you were diagnosed, right? Yeah. So. And by that fall, they started using the term remission. So in the fall of uh, 214, and then uh, we started seeing reduction in size. In fact, two of the three lymph nodes returned to normal size with just the one remaining abnormal. And then again, as the winter progressed, I went for more uh, scans through that winter. By that spring of 215, I went back into the uh, Kelowna Cancer Clinic and they advised me they were closing my cancer file, my patient file, as uh, the, the cancer at that point was now radiologically undetectable and that last lymph node was no longer detectable as enlarged. Yeah. So I was essentially cancer free. And you haven't had any treatment since May of 214. Yeah, so I've gone within remission to into remission to being cancer-free with about 16 months from a terminal diagnosis that I was supposed to be dead in two. I went back to work that uh, that fall in 2015. You know, some of the people that know of the RCMP uh, fitness tests, I hadn't run that since 2004. And because I felt so compelled and I was feeling so healthy that when I went back in the fall, I ran that fitness test. And uh, I was the second oldest uh, officer at the, uh, the training session that fall. Uh, I ran it within seconds of what I had ran it, uh, you know, under, yeah, pretty close to what I ran it in 204. Uh, 204, I had to do a stress test when I ran it back then because of my health and pre-diabetic metabolic syndrome, 30 pounds overweight, all the things that middle-aged guys hear. Yet here I was a decade later and um, I didn't have to run the stress test. And I ran it pretty close to what I ran it in uh, Steve after uh, stage four cancer diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of people often say, oh, well, maybe you had a reaction to the drug the therapy. But we know now that that drug has come to market and their tag is live longer. But when you read the fine print of that drug, it compares it to people on chemo or other treatments, and it's giving them about three months longer life. So with pages and pages of side effects. And that's that's with those that remain on the treatment for the rest of their life, yet I was punted from it in 214 yeah. and uh, not having completed the whole protocol. Yeah. There's no question about it. 
that uh, adopting a whole food plant-based got me into the health that assisted me make it my environment, my body and hospitable for the cancer. And I always say is that it's because of my wife's beautiful intelligence that I'm here today. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been three, three years. Four years four, and six four months. Years and four six years and six, six months. months. Since yeah. diagnosis. So, wow. And what was the percentage? Did they give you a percentage? Yeah, so now the percentage. So, yeah, I get this. This is a good kicker, a good question. The five-year survival rate for stage four kidney cancer for women is 8% and for men is 5%. So 5% chance of survival. I had a 95% chance of dying. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So 5% chance of surviving. Yeah. And that was if I did survive uh, that... Uh, they said it would be... Well, I mean, first off, they didn't say five years. They said two and it would be miserable. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's... here I am closing into that five-year mark and I haven't just survived. I've thrived. Yeah. The one thing that I've been kicking myself for the past couple of years, I want to get back onto my fitness regime and getting back some of that muscle mass. I'm certainly quite healthy now. Cardio is good, but I'd like to really exemplify what the human spirit can accomplish and, and show even, you know, in this, this amount of time as to turning things around, especially now that I'll be 56 in November. Yeah. And, you know, I think, too, that, you know, people think you're an anomaly, but we know there's so many people like you in the world that, have, plant -based that yeah. have adopted a plant-based lifestyle and have done miraculous things with their health mm. have turned around cancer diagnoses and you know and then things like heart disease and diabetes well hell those are easy <laughs> you know type it's, 2 diabetes reversal yeah reversal, reversal it, yeah. even if you've had it for years it can be reversed or, or dramatically improved so what what it's it's meant for us too when we look at what is this all done for us well you know uh, close to retirement and retiring and i always knew that communications and advocacy was going to be something in community work it would be a part of our life we just didn't know what the vehicle would be and we found our vehicle or the vehicle has found us yeah i'm 54 years old and i finally know what i want to do when i grow up yeah. <laughs> yeah. isn't it amazing yeah. yeah and then our our, our involvement with uh, the incredible opportunity to be involved in the documentary film eating you alive uh, which essentially you know we hear uh, Dominion is the new earthlings for, for animal rights and animal ethics movies. Well, Eating You Alive is the new Forks Over Knives. There's no question about it. Forks Over Knives has been a wonderful movie. But when you look at um, the cast that's in Eating You Alive and the content, it's a tremendous film. And we're just honored to be part of that film. And again, our involvement with the film, be it from the, uh, the BC and Alberta film tour that we conducted uh, last year, through six cities and doing the Q&As and going down to L.A. for the premiere to um, speaking for the film and working in kind still with the production company now. And, and uh, now the film, uh, its availability is resuming this year in, in Canada and uh, we're carrying on with that. It's a big part of what we're doing. And, and again, Sean, she's a subject matter expert. I'm the case study. I'm learning more and more as we go. I don't think I'll ever have her knowledge base, but um I think we, we make a great team and uh, we kind of uh, complement one another for our, our speaking engagements and what we have to offer as both examples uh, yeah. for the weight loss and the cancer. And, and uh, you know, yeah, we just feel so honored and obligated to share our story and to share the benefits of a whole food plant based lifestyle. There are so many people out there suffering and 
you know, sometimes things don't go well in life, but there are so many things that you can really turn around. Mm -hmm. And by adopting this kind of a lifestyle, you can improve your health dramatically. Yeah. And, you know, we just need to tell everybody. Yeah, not everybody might listen, but I need to tell everybody. <laughs> As you guys so, know yourself. You know, right. so. And I think that's what's incredible, too, is uh, how old are you guys? I'm 41. 34. Yeah. So, you know, like, look at the, the age groups that we've got getting involved with this. We know the whole food plant-based movement, vegan movement is being driven by the millennials. But interestingly enough, um, you know, even our age group and older, you know, when we do these presentations, we look at the rooms as to the diversity of the ages that are there for different reasons. And it's really, really interesting to see that people are really are, are starting to pay more and more attention for this for their variety of reasons, that being animal ethics, uh, the environment or for your health. And it's it's a win, 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 win. Yeah. You know, it's, it's there. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting that uh, like you have the opportunity to go out and, and share this message, but it's empowering to know that we can take responsibility for our health. Yeah. The medical profession is incredibly important. They do amazing things like surgeries and, and sometimes drugs are very necessary, but we can abdicate our responsibility. Right. And if we have an issue, just go and expect someone else to fix right. it. Yeah. We need to, to look yeah. inside and go, what are, and what are we doing? You know, do this first. And then if you need help mm -hmm. through medical procedures or drugs, entertain that. But when you start with the foundation of good health, you might not need to have any of that other thing, all that in there. Interestingly enough, too, when we talk to some of the physicians of or people and their physicians, you know, you get some, yeah, I get my doctor eye rolls. And then you get some <laughs> physicians that are like, oh, I don't know much about this. I'd like to learn about this with you. And then you do have more and more some that are versed in it. So lifestyle, the adoption of lifestyle, incorporation of lifestyle medicine, it's not the norm yet. But we see and hear more and more physicians that are looking at this seriously to, to assist. Well, I think, you know, I think most people want to become a doctor because they want to see people get better. They want to heal people. Mm -hmm. and this is a valid way to do that, more so than writing a lot of prescriptions and procedures. This really honestly works. And you can heal people by leading by example, like just like what you guys are doing. Like a lot of doctors don't have the training to heal people with alternative means. They only know how to prescribe drugs. Mm -hmm. So the amazing thing is that we don't have to become a doctor to change people's right. lives no. and to, to give people hope. And I think it's just such an important thing to remember that life is not a spectator sport. Right. Like you get to be in charge of your own life. You don't have to be a passenger. Like we try and take control with lots of different things with like, oh, I want to find a different job or like I want to find the perfect partner or the right car or like whatever. But like a lot of times we feel helpless when it comes to our health. And it doesn't have to be that way. Like you are in control of your own destiny, yeah. but you just have to be brave enough to try. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times people are just afraid to try. It's so true. And it's, you know, all of those, you know, there's so many corny sayings about, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. But until you've actually <laughs> had your health taken away from you or your loved one's health taken away from you, you don't understand how important, how it is the basis of all of your life you can't do anything without health no. and we often say to people don't wait till the 11th hour to turn the ship around because you god willing you can but sometimes it might be just too late so do it now yeah so this is kind of an exciting time for you guys in your relationship as you're looking at retirement and starting basically your new career path so what is that looking like for you guys what are you most excited about 
Well, well, I mean, we've, we, we have Indian Rock Vegans. So and, we have our uh, social media platforms on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we uh, essentially a resource pool hub that uh, all the stuff that we scour through and post, as many people do and share it. A lot of outreach, a lot of phone consults, email consults with people that uh, from across the country and, and into, you know, across the world, actually. Yeah. Sean. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I am not a doctor. I've taken, uh, I have my Cornell plant-based uh, certificate and I read obsessively. People are always asking us questions. We can certainly direct them to. If we don't have the yeah, if we don't have the information, we certainly are good at finding it. Yeah, yeah. You teach cooking classes. I I've done some. I do cooking demos. Um, help to facilitate the complete health improvement program here in Penticton, which Chip. is a fabulous program. The Chip program. It's a, a five week, three night a week kind Inversion. of boot camp on how to transition to a plant based lifestyle for optimum health. Kitchen cleanouts, grocery store yeah, tours. Grocery store, I mean, who knew you could spend three hours in the grocery store and have so much fun? So, uh, yeah, I akin it to like Harry Potter when they go shopping for their their wizard, wizard stuff. stuff in downtown London in this parallel street. That's what our grocery store is like. You can buy this stuff or you can buy this stuff. And so do that. Indian Rock itself, we're hopeful that uh, we would like to do, uh, we always planned on a bed and breakfast. And then we thought, okay, bed and breakfast, a plant-based menu. And then pushing that even more would be an immersion retreat right. uh, spot where we could, uh, if, if it's, they wanted a little bit more and some, some of the instructions. Come for a week or two. Teach you how to cook, how to grocery shop. We'll teach them how to mountain bike. That's yeah. right. We'll <laughs> throw you in the lake. Well, it's interesting. We've got, we've got a lot of contact with the different individuals that are in the plant-based community. We, like I say, we've got Sonia here who's an athlete, and I bet you wouldn't be yeah. adverse to and Matt uh, spending a, a few days here touring around the trails. We've got one of our lead physicians at the oncology section here in Penticton, Dr. Wendy Ross, is uh, available to us uh, on for consults. We've got a massage therapist who's keen at seeing Indian Rock bed and breakfast guest house come up. So who knows in you know about a year or so that that's that's one of the things that that's there. Another the biggest well not the biggest but one of the other big things that that has evolved in it. We started this journey about health, yep. and then uh, animal rights and animal um, activism. We are whole food plant based vegans who advocate for health, and we are animal rights activists. Yeah. And we are active activists. We participate in uh, a variety of, of, of the organizations, be it Anonymous for the Voiceless. The, um, we've March gone, to Close All Slaughterhouses. Yes, last. coming on June 9th. June 9th in Kelowna. Kelowna. There is the, uh, the first uh, March to Close All Slaughterhouses, which is a march that takes place across the world in uh, 15 uh, countries. Vancouver, it's their third year. Last year, we, we were there for our wedding anniversary. Yeah, so we spent our anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> 400, 400 activists marched through Vancouver, and this year on 9th in, in, in Kelowna, as well as uh, we've, we were really, really excited. We uh, got connected with an organizing committee for um, Nations Rising Rally, which is July 14th on Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Our hometown, we haven't been back, or Sean hasn't been back since the wedding. So we're really pumped to be at this rally in March on, on, on the lawns of Parliament Hill, delivering a message to our federal government alongside um, international activist James Aspie, Dr. David Jenkins, uh, the inceptor of the glycemic index, 
and Salish Rao from uh, the producer of, of Cowspiracy and Indian Raw Vegans and a couple other speakers coming up to uh, deliver the message to our federal government that, and it's not about plant-based vegans against farmers or against the status quo or against, it's a matter that we have to look at something has to be done to better the situation for the future, for, for future generations. So the message from Ra Nations Rising is that we want to see the elimination of uh, subsidies to animal agriculture to shift more and balance or to shift to plant-based agriculture to assist our farmers transition away from animal agriculture and transition to plant-based agriculture and to make plant-based foods more available to our, all our communities, in particular Indigenous and more isolated communities in Northern Canada and uh, uh, the far reaches of Canada. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, July 14th, they're going to be on Parliament Hill. Yeah. Very cool. And, you know, transitioning the farmers is much like the tobacco industry. Yeah. You know, it's uh, those farmers were doing what they thought was a good job, creating a product, feeding their families. It's no different. It's no hate for farmers. It's just um, love for the environment and our health and the animals, really. No, you can't, they, when you look at, again, the three facets of it, is uh, when you learn that it's bad for your health to eat animal products, it's really, really bad for the environment. When you look at animal agriculture, what the effects on the environment are yeah, and climate change. More greenhouse gases than all planes, trains, and automobiles put together. And then you look at the suffering that we're causing to these poor, innocent animals. And, and when you build a relationship with an animal, and many of us are pet lovers, but if you, you know, take the time to maybe go to a farm sanctuary or, or, or you know... Get to know a pig. Get to know a pig <laughs> and how smart they are and how lovely... Be a bumper sticker, by the yeah. way. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, no, I yeah. Indian rock vegans. Get yeah. to know a pig. Get to know a pig. Well, I mean, that's why I started volunteering, is I wanted a relationship with a pig. And I now I have... I have a relationship with, uh, let me think now, seven, nine, uh, 11, 12 pigs. And they all have amazing different personalities. They're so smart. I think that's the thing that astounds you the most. You've heard, you read the statistics that they're smart, smarter than dogs and as smart as a three-year-old toddler. They are, yeah. they are so smart. And uh, when you get to know them, the thought of killing them to eat them is, <laughs> as appalling and disturbing and gut-wrenching as the thought of killing your own dog to eat it. Yeah. It's, um, you know, so yeah, it, that's been a real evolution for us. The other, uh, we had the opportunity as well when we went down to LA last summer, we participated. There's one large movement uh, organization, uh, the Animal Save, which was uh, incepted by Anita Krantz out of Toronto. She got a lot of media attention back in 2016 for feeding water to pigs in Toronto when she started the vigil. Just her and her dog, Mr. Bean. Uh, <laughs> that organization now is across the world in 190 countries, almost every continent. So we joined uh, Amy Jean Davis at the LA Animal Save uh, last, uh, last June or July. And uh, 11 o'clock at night at a, uh, one of the slaughterhouses there as the trucks would come up and show those animals two minutes of uh, human kindness and compassion and, and were fed water uh, before being driven into the slaughterhouse and, and slaughtered. So it's interesting. You see a lot of footage or a lot of pictures of these animals and you say, oh no, that eye, that face of that pig, that's photoshopped. Uh, no, you know, a pig doesn't purse its eye like that in distress or but when you look at that animal eye to eye and you look at it in the eye and you see the sheer terror 
um, these these are babies. They're six months old, about when they're slaughtered. And you see that the the look on their face. It's quite uh, quite an interesting thing to uh, bear witness. Mm-hmm. You guys are also available for speaking as well, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah we um, veg couple of veg fest we, Powell River. Yeah, we did Powell River Veg Fest, which Kelowna. was amazing. We did the Kelowna Vegan Festival. We've spoken, you know. People seek us out and ask yeah. us to speak. Parent groups, parent, we have another yeah. interesting presentation Sean put together called Disease Proof Your Kids yeah, with a group of parents of Kelowna, Kelowna a couple weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there seems to be interest for sure. So far, we're not seeking the speaking in group uh, um, arrangements. People are always approaching us, so that's kind of nice. Yeah. And we just, again, we just want to share the message for sure. And again, too, look at here we are in our yeah. dining room with you two wonderful yeah. individuals who, <laughs> yeah. you know, before I, I didn't know who you were. And, and yeah. uh, it's always fun. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. It's a journey. The individuals that we come across, the relationships that we're building, have we lost friends over becoming yeah. vegan, whole food, plant-based? Maybe, but we've mm-hmm. made a lot of a new lot friends. A lot of new friends, too, yeah. you know. Um, yeah, for sure. And then, you know, you make these connections and then you hope to work together again. I think that we'll be doing something with Sonia in September mm-hmm. and that'll be tons of fun. That's so, just a little teaser. We yeah, want. A little teaser. that's right. <laughs> we'll throw out more. Some of you on later. a little trip up to the Okanagan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's exactly. a great time of year to come. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I just think that the world is opening up and there's so many opportunities. And there's, you know, I feel like uh, I think you agree, Dan, is that to the thought of just traveling for a holiday is kind of gone now. It's always like, oh, let's travel to this conference or this <laughs> this uh, event that's going on oh, in Parliament so Hill or this happening. march or this whatever. And so our, our holidays are kind of being wrapped around other plant-based events mm-hmm. or animal activist events. There's just one topic, too, I, I want to touch on. Uh, my background is in media relations and communications for the past 10 years and crisis communications and kind of an outcome projection kind of ideology mentality just because of what I do in police work and, and, and you know, seeing what might evolve uh, with, with uh, strategies. And there's a lot that uh, people say, well, we're not hearing a lot about whole food plant-based and veganism and mainstream media. That's changing. So if we look at why and how this happens or why it hasn't or why it's starting to happen, essentially that um, the media, mainstream media is built around uh, advertising funding. So they will, they run stuff that uh, is paid by their advertisers and then food and pharmaceuticals being very big advertisers on mainstream media. But the one thing that we have going for us with this paradigm shift is the fact that it's controversial. Media love controversy. So by default, what is happening right now, and we've seen it a couple of incidences, in the, in, especially in the UK with Joey Carbstrong and James Aspie, who have been made out to be these, these extreme you know, activists, but it be, it's becoming popular for the media to cover these things because for it to be covered, a, it's controversial. So they're, they're, they're covering these, the, this topic of veganism and, and uh, this battle that's, or, or what they're calling a battle. We're just trying to educate people and we're trying to show truths. But there's less of, there's less, it seems that there's less and less backlash from the public 
to you know telling the mainstream media agencies that no we don't want to see this in fact people are more curious about it so then by default the media agencies are covering it more and then again when we look at some of the uh, the inception and creation now of plant-based products there is room for advertising for for them advertising dollars so by default, now we, we've got this controversial topic. They love to cover tr- controversy. So we are getting the vegan message and whole food plant-based message now more and more covered by mainstream right. media, but essentially by default. Which is important because, you know, when you think about when the World Health Organization came out with their declaration saying that, you know, that processed meat was a, a group 1A carcinogen, that only hit mainstream media for about 16 hours. And then you didn't hear about it again. And why? Because all those advertisers, all of the big ag were saying, stop talking about that or we pull our ads. And that was it. You didn't hear anything else about it. But now we are starting to hear about it. And it's because I think people, 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 are, people are realizing that we're all compassionate human beings. And people and, and, don't want to be lied to anymore. No. This is like tobacco. This is like uh, all of, of the things in, that have gone on in the past. People want the truth. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah. So we're starting to get more and more airtime about yeah. it, and um, there's less backlash yeah. from the public about it, it being aired. The science In fact, is solid. More, yeah, the science the is science solid. The science is solid. The data is it's there. Bacon is not good for you. Bacon well, is not good for you. Meat so is the new next tobacco. Next person that says mm, bacon, oh, but bacon. Well, you know, no small amount is safe. So my question is, and I and I believe. The parallel to cigarettes and bacon was drawn by the world, not right. by crazy activist Matt, right. which I'm not, yeah. but by the world, by, <laughs> right. by the world organization. health organization. <laughs> bacon is in the same classification as asbestos and tobacco. And plutonium. And plutonium. <laughs> yeah. So that sounds like a good a, breakfast. Yeah. Plan. <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's a, there's a good app, actually. Yeah. This, there's research to support enough research to support that all of those cause cancer. And the World uh, Cancer Fund just came out on last Thursday, I believe. Yep. Their new report. I think they put a report out every what four or five years, and and again they came out saying no processed meat. There is no amount of processed meat that is safe to eat. Yeah, would you feed your kid plutonium for breakfast? No, no, no. And it's like, if, if people would flip if you were selling cigarettes at schools. Or at a fundraiser. And yet we're having hot dog lunch days and Lunchables and sandwich meats and- yeah, it's amazing and, it's not illegal. Yeah, and we have warning labels on cigarettes, but we don't yeah. have warning labels on bacon. Yeah. And why is that? Well, it took 50 years for people to be educated, the public to be educated about tobacco. You know, as first Surgeon General's report came out in 1964. And uh, sure, people still smoke, but nobody thinks it's good for them. Everybody knowingly. And I think that's the problem. It's fine if you want to keep participating in activity that's dangerous and unhealthy, but it's immoral for you to be doing it, being told by the companies that are selling you this product that it's okay and it's healthy and it's fine. You need to know the truth so that you can make an educated guess for the health of yourself and the health of your family. And I, I think that's coming down the, that's coming, more and more and more. that's gonna come. People are gonna realize that more and more. And if you feel morally good about feeding your kids processed meat, then let's hope that you can live with their cancer diagnosis later in life. So that sounds really harsh, but I think that's the reality. You know, we put our kids in seatbelts and 
bike helmets and we take such good care of our kids and then we turn around and feed them a known carcinogen. Mm. And as a parent, I still lie awake at night worrying about all the crap that I fed my kids when they were little and hoping that there's not breast cancer or prostate cancer in their future and that hopefully they adopted this diet early enough that they will have avoided those tragedies. Mm. Um, so I think that's why we tell people. That's why you tell people and people like yourselves as well too with your podcast and there's so many different formats and the community is growing everywhere, everywhere you go. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. All right. Thanks, well, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Yeah. It really does make a difference. And I have heard so many stories of people who have reversed diseases. And don't wait. Like, a lot of times people wait until they've had a heart attack or they get cancer or something bad happens to make changes in their lives. And Sometimes you don't get that choice. So make a choice now to be healthier. I want to thank my podcast producer, Roma. He does such a great job and he has been with me from the beginning. And he also helps make recommendations to improve the audio experience of this show. And speaking of recommendations, guys, I love your feedback. Give me a shout out on Twitter at Sonia Looney or on Instagram or Facebook. I love to hear your feedback. I want to hear from you. And if there's something that you think I can be doing better or a guest that you want to hear, give me a shout out. I'm always ready for some feedback. Once again, if you're thinking about making a foray into plant-based nutrition, feel free to join the free Plant Power Tribe Facebook group. It's in the show notes or just go on Facebook and search Plant Power Tribe with Sonia Looney. And also check out the Indian Rock Vegans. They have their Instagram account. They have a Facebook group as well. And the reason they're called Indian Rock Vegans is because where they live is Indian Rock. And Dan and Sean are just the most amazing people. They do public speaking. So just keep an eye out for these guys because I think you're going to hear a lot more from them in the future. Big thanks to our podcast sponsor, Kuat Racks. They make the best bike racks on the market. Easy to use, lightweight, reliable. Check out their website, kuatracks.com. Thank you again, guys, for listening to the show. It means the world to me that you come back and listen and that you share the show with your friends and wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week. <laughs>